0: and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Ethan Bartlett, and today I have two guests. Uh, I have Michael Lilienthal, as usual, like whatever.
1: That's me! Yeah,
0: I'm glad one person is excited for you to be here, Michael. Um,
1: (laughs) Someone has to be.
0: But I also have a second guest, and this is very exciting. Uh, His name is Jacob Comfort, and I'll let him say something now if he wants to. My name is Jacob Kempfert.
2: Uh I'm a guest on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm glad to be here. I have absolutely no uh, qualifications or expertise, and so
0: um, I'm just glad to drink the scotch. Thank you. We've we've just activated Jacob, so he like the input is a little bit <laughs> low, but we we're going to feed him the entire text of Babbitt here in a few minutes, and then uh, yes. Uh, very good. Yes. <laughs> he will only he will only talk about pep from then on out. Yes, right, absolutely, <laughs> right. Um, I
2: have I have a heck of a vision. Let me tell you, fellas, <laughs> I can't wait. Ah, good. Yes,
1: I'm <laughs> excited Wilson, to hear. it. I
0: have to confess, I'm a person with no pep at all. So, uh, uh, what are you? Some kind of socialist? Probably. Ooh. ooh. <laughs> I I am social. Yeah. Um, and that. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I that's pretty pretty condemning. Um, what club do you belong to uh the freemasons this one we are the freemasons <laughs> uh, okay, <yeah. laughs> this podcast. To... it's much better everyone than everyone else who calls the themselves freemasons.
1: freemasons or you know posers <laughs> we're the
0: real ones yeah. even though all of the other ones who do call themselves freemasons will also say that yeah yeah
3: that's <laughs> yes.
0: I'm glad we've done two minutes on me not being able to think of a joke fast enough. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, that said, uh, we don't want to keep our our guest waiting, except for Michael. Um, we're going to introduce the scotch. Uh, are we all three drinking the same scotch this time? Nice. Yes, I had to be conformist
1: and track it down and hunt it down and go to a different city. Oh, my to goodness.
0: Find
2: it, oh, wow. Uh, all right. And I am also drinking the same nice. scotch and conformist. So we all
0: three this time, as opposed to uh, last time, uh, which we explained then, um, we are drinking Old Pulteney, 12 year old single malt scotch whiskey. Uh, yes out of wick scotland um it is robust with a delicate hint of sea air as it says on the label how did you pronounce it old pulteney uh the way yeah right? the way that you just did i am absolutely not okay. an authority on scottish location name pronunciations so i sure no i me do me not either. know if yeah. that's correct but this one seems pretty like phonetic um okay I wasn't sure if it was old Pulteney or old Pulteney. Yeah, it could be, it could absolutely be that. Um, I only try to, I try to only pronounce scotches one way because, um, like, then I have a chance of having gotten it right. Whereas if I pronounce it two different ways, I have a hundred percent chance of having gotten it
2: wrong. That is very wise. Yes. My uh,
1: expert uh, whiskey guide. Uh, that I have, the Pocket Guide to Whiskey from uh, Blair Bowman, uh, does say that it's pronounced Old Pultney.
0: I got it more or less right. right. There you go. A first, probably. Um, So Old Pultney, if you want to sponsor this show, uh, that's why you should. Uh,
1: We have said on the podcast in previous episodes that if any whiskey wants to sponsor the show, we'll drink only that whiskey (laughs) and nothing else. As long as they provide it. (laughs) As long as they provide it, yeah. Um,
3: (laughs)
0: Perfect. Okay, so, uh, now that we've talked about the scotch, uh, let's get to the part where we can drink the scotch, before which we need my wife to come in and read the rules. Karen, would you please come in and read the rules?
3: Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so, because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number 7, if 4 scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses.
0: And what happens if someone breaks the rules?
3: If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly.
0: Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. listener. Thank you, Karen. Now, Jacob, I I have to say, I noticed you didn't join in with Michael and me at the end of that to sort of... uh, (laughs) you know say the whole gentle listener accusatory thing yeah um, and we did give you the mm-hmm. script for when karen came in and read the rules live and yet you didn't join us yeah. do you have any comment on that no
1: yeah Wait, is there is there a problem i mean that you don't want to join us that you don't want to conform uh, well to you know
2: i i am a, a degenerate raving liberal who is a, a spot on good democratic society uh, I don't have the capitalist pep and and vim uh, that I need, and so I just refuse. Okay.
0: Well, um, thank you for that confession. All right. Well, uh, yeah. As, Appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Lucy on Peanuts says, as they say on TV, admitting you have a problem is the first step to a solution. So. Um, sure yeah
2: yeah or in the well i don't want maybe don't want to jump the gun talking about the book but in the case of Babbitt, admitting you have a problem is the first step to just going back to your old habit and all right well you had a moment
0: of uh of transcendence there but you you uh lowered yourself back down again so yeah oh sorry you know (laughs) it happens it happens um yeah so wait what part is next in the script
1: uh, and we pour the scotch I and drink right. the glasses everyone
0: pour yourself some some vim
1: pouring one ah, for yes. my wife
0: I'm gonna say, I am going to say mustn't mustn't lose rules. this early and as they say in zenith it's pep <laughs> L'chaim <laughs> I
1: promised.
0: <Icarola. laughs> um, <laughs> yeah So as Jacob has alluded to already uh, We are Talking about a new book this episode So um, Let us give oh, the hey. readers a chance To read it but I guess I'll say what it is The book is called Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis Now go read the book wasn't it a book? Uh, I don't want to give away my my ratings. What good little
1: boys and girls that you went and read the book oh, we man. assigned to you.
0: We're all getting too into character, and it's either good or bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is there an yeah, extra? Yes, thank rule you, Michael. Of... Um, the tradition on this podcast, and it's been quite a while since we had like an additional guest. Uh, so I had forgotten about it, mm-hmm. even though um, we did talk about it like moments before going live uh the guest does get to make a an extra rule now the tradition is michael and i can be gotten by this rule the guest cannot um and the i believe in the bylaws it says within reason um so uh with that and with fear and trembling i uh say to jacob what rule shall we be beholden to
2: Alright, so the the rule is All of us must We are forced to join The Good Citizens League (laughs) Um, I'm going to strong arm both of you Into it And what that means is To be part of the Good Citizens League Means we all need to come up with A name for ourselves And a Mm. nickname for that name And an occupation We are citizens of the, the Grand city of Zenith And so we need to be you know boosterism and all of that and so we need a name and then a nickname and an occupation and we need to call each other oh by our nicknames
1: oh boy not our oh names boy. our
2: nicknames we can use our occupations however we see fit but the name must be must be a good masculine he-man name
1: mm-hmm.
2: and the nickname has to have real pep and our occupation it has to be a solid decent god-fearing job Uh, you have to have a be a professional man with vision you can't be some bum layabout that needs a union or anything you know so (laughs) that's my rule we need to come up with these things and then we need to call each other by our nicknames for the rest of the the two episodes so
0: are you saying only our nicknames like only our nicknames yes
1: so if we call each other by our real names we lose yes Yes, correct
2: Or if you refuse to join the Good Citizens League, then you lose.
1: Or if you refuse to join, yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Oh, boy.
0: (sighs) I mean, I know my name. So Mm. I am William Williamson. Uh, I usually go by Bill to my family, but my nickname is buzz. buzz buzz oh that's a good one.
2: Oh, oh man. i'm jealous
0: my profession is bookseller and i know and i know that like ah. we get kind of a it's well a, we got a highbrow a here rap, right because <laughs> like there are a lot of booksellers selling books with like not how do i put this correct opinions in them uh, and also there are a lot of booksellers who sell books that are evil um, you know like Harry Potter sure, and, yeah. and other books just, that just have a high amount of evil but in my bookstore I only sell good solid American middle class American good solid hmm. books good Excellent.
2: Thank you, Buzz. You're welcome. Thank you for your service to our community. It's an
0: honor and a privilege.
2: Yeah. How else are people uh, going to know the right things exactly. to think without you providing it to them?
0: Ready-made. Exactly. That's if beautiful. we if we if uh, only if you know books are only for the liberals, then only liberals will have books, I always say. Exactly, yeah. Mm uh
1: well i am bradford kip carson
0: oh nice wait are you related to the famous western gunfighter no wait that's kit carson maybe never mind how could i have been so foolish
1: uh and i am a car
2: salesman okay i'm gonna uh i'm gonna cheat a little bit because i kind of used a name like this for a different in a different context previously but i love the name so much i'm gonna keep it um and I make the rules, so that is true. You know, that's how it goes. Yeah, my true. my name is Lester Graves. Oh no! And you can call me Leaky Leaky Graves. Yes, Michael, you might remember that one. I, I do
1: remember that. I wanted that's to bring it back. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. And uh, as befitting my name, I am um, it's, uh... one of the four competing funeral directors. In the I great, knew it. Uh, town, himself. I knew it. I just yeah. There's got to be more than four. No, what is it, like 300 plus thousand? There's got to be more than four. Well, they keep killing oh, yeah. each other
0: off, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. true, yeah. As Mark Twain said, the bad thing about being counted one of the great funeral directors is they keep dying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Um,
1: when, I, when I hear the, the name Leaky Graves, it brings me back to that one episode of uh, Fiasco. And uh, I, I'm... I'm moved to to speak in a southern accent. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm leaky. I'm uh, leaky, these women folk?
2: At the old Bradford Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and the
0: pink them Pinkertons
2: got it out for us. <laughs> That's right.
0: Excellent. All right. Well uh boy this was a this was a this was a rule you made uh there leaky. Sorry. I mean I'm well, it, sorry but it's not just sorry, like it's... it's one of those rules that's going to get harder to follow the farther into the episodes we get if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. It's great. I don't um, know what you mean. Can you explain no. it? Ask your mom. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what, have, what have you done?
1: Oh what have my you done? gosh! You Didn't fall for the trap <laughs> I set up for you. I, I you made fell my own of your own design as if to spite the trap well, that I Well, I would made like to you. say <laughs> you saw the pit I dug and you said, "Nah." I I'm would like to say
0: that Leaky's rule still applies. So, I I can yes. lose again. Oh yes. And Kip, you can still lose. <laughs> uh so, but man, I'm, I'm, uh, really just one unforced error down. Uh, that was a, <laughs> that right. was a baseball analogy. So, you people um, would know that if you were really full of pep.
2: Yeah, that's true. No, I know all about baseball. Yeah, absolutely. It's America's pastime. Yeah.
0: How, it's right. American. <laughs> so Thank weird. you. Thank you for that reassurance there, yeah. Uh, yeah I appreciate it. That's right. <laughs> you bet, Buzz. <laughs>
1: we got you buzz uh so yes leaky uh the way it works punishments will be applied at the end of the episode
2: okay gotcha
1: that's when uh that's when buzz will uh
0: incredible suffer In- his, his incredible punishment. defeat um okay mm-hmm.
1: Mag- all right
0: design. okay i i don't want to have this discussion no i'm just kidding um let's talk about Babbitt. uh this novel by <laughs> okay. Sinclair Lewis. now that our play is done, except that you know well you know how like you know how like when you finish performing a play like you're doing a role play thing, and then you continue to talk to each other in the character names from that play, that's basically the energy I think we've oh, yeah. set up here. Yes, it's what every actor always does yeah. and every cast always does. So I don't know why I'm even pointing it out. Right. Yeah. Um. All right. So. I would like, and I was planning to do this already. Uh, This is not a new challenging thing since I have nothing to lose. Um, But I would like to give each of you a chance to summarize the plot of this book. Uh, (laughs) And I want, you know, I'm not talking like a, like a blow by blow thing. Um, Give me, give me just the, Mm. the, the highlights of the highlights. Let's say... i'm not timing it but like 30 seconds or less you know the the version that's like lord of the rings is about a cranky hobbit who throws a ring into a fire hole you know that kind of thing the The
1: elevator pitch of the novel. so
0: jacob as our as our guest uh i i will give you the chance to go first
2: sure yeah so Babbitt is a novel about George F. Babbitt, who owns a real estate business, successful real estate business. And I guess you'd say it's about the, the life and happenings and events and uh, development might be too strong <laughs> of a word to use. But what happens to Babbitt over the course of, uh, what is it, a year, two see. years, something like that, um, sort of in the course of his life as an upper middle class Citizen of and booster of the city of Zenith. Very good. And maybe to sort of add to that, challenges come up, and we see how Babbitt responds to those challenges to his identity and his character and his uh, his view of himself. Excellent,
0: Michael. Do you uh, do you feel like you can do any better, any different?
1: any better, want any it, different? I, I don't know. What I'm saying. Um, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I mean, okay. So, Babbitt is the story of the titular character Babbitt, who uh, becomes disillusioned with uh, his conformist life and the pursuits that his society fellows encourage, and to which he has devoted his life for his entire life to this point, uh, and begins branching out only to encounter more and more resistance until finally he is attracted back into uh the life which he began but perhaps with a glimmer of something other very good there's a yeah more conceptual summary yes very very (laughs) good
2: than uh, a literal
3: (laughs) uh, the
0: reason i wanted to pose this challenge to you both uh kip and kip and leaky is that uh i would not have been able to do it i uh i loved this book <laughs> um, yes. I, I mean maybe i you know if i'd been assigned this as, as a college writing assignment or something i might have might i'd like to say hmm. i'd find a way uh but i was having trouble doing it um which it, it is to acknowledge that like we're the. it's not the point right the plot the plot is is not the point um in a very in a very real sense or at least in the sense that like where you're summarizing the plot of a lot Uh of books it's it's not the point um i guess the other thing i wanted to do i just have several like potentially short bullet points here at the beginning before we before we launch into uh uh perhaps deeper deeper longer questions um is that uh as i understand it leaky here uh wanted to be on this set of episodes um pretty specifically for this uh for this um for this book right uh what is it about this book leaky that you just adore so much or or that made you want to to discuss it
1: well, can, oh. I, can I clarify that I. Yeah, I'll have Leakey my representative, Kip,
2: speak for me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I, sure. I invited Leaky on for this specific set oh, okay. of episodes, um, knowing that his undergrad oh, thesis. Oh, okay. Was on I did Saint not. Lewis. Uh, um, Kip did not yes, share yeah. that
0: information with me, which is something that will come out of his paycheck, but I guess I pay him. <laughs> uh. He works on commission for the amount yeah. of information that but he you. But he's not even. a spy. <laughs> we don't, we don't have spies here in corporate America. That's only something communists do. Um, no, of course not.
1: Oh. Okay. No. that's a that's a really good <laughs> a commie thing to do. Sort of context.
2: Yes. Yeah. So it it wasn't necessarily my request, uh, but it was. Um, I'm happy to do it because I uh, had studied Sinclair Lewis in college and after college, um, for sure. Which is cool because like i
0: personally have never this is my first encounter yeah
2: he's one of those writers that um i don't know i mean maybe less and less he's known very well but he's one of those writers Mm -hmm. that seems to be people know of him they probably know main Mm -hmm. street his book main street Mm -hmm. um or these days maybe they know the book it can't happen here that sort of got a surge Mm -hmm. in popularity in recent years but i don't think many people are actually familiar with his work and i I could go on a big tangent about this. I think there's a few reasons for that. He's very much of his mm-hmm. time. His dialogue, especially, is very uh, centered in sure. early 1920s America, so that can be hard to for people to connect with. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was excited to be a part of the discussion of Babbitt, um, so that I can sure. uh, dominate the discussion yeah. with factoids about Sinclair Lewis.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs>
0: uh, Kip, Kip here, and I, you know, we we. Uh, carry these discussions twice a month, so if uh, if you would dominate the discussion, Leaky, you'd only be giving us a much-needed rest. Oh, sure. And yeah. the, and the gentle listener, a much-needed break from uh, our voices. We'll just
1: <laughs> hand it over to you. This is your podcast. We're going to yeah. go take a nap. Oh, okay, what, great. What this actually was yeah.
0: was a trap. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, let, where uh, to begin? Um, since the <laughs> dawn of time, uh, people... <laughs> People this, have. Uh... This is your bus now. <laughs> since I, men I first say... gathered around the fire, there has been the question of conformity in human society yes. And since people went off to hunt oh. on their own, there has been the problem of the individual. Uh, okay, no, sorry. <laughs> what were you saying?
1: That's okay. No, this. So this this was my pick. Uh, this book uh, to bring to the podcast, and it came about. And I mentioned this when I um, uh, brought the book. Uh, is I read um, The Republic of Imagination by Azar Nafisi, who wrote Reading Lolita in Tehran. Um, This is a less well-known book uh, of hers, but um, Babbitt is one of the books that she covers uh, in here, and uh, just her discussion of it got me really intrigued to read it. It had been on my list for a while anyway, Uh, but then after reading that discussion, and and she does touch a little bit on um, maybe why Sinclair Lewis isn't as well-known um, even though he's, he's known, but his works aren't known, uh, that, uh, with like his contemporaries and you can think of Hemingway or Fitzgerald and, uh, and such like that, who even they, Um, uh, uh, she, she quotes, um, Hemingway talking about, uh, Lewis and what Hemingway said is Sinclair Lewis is nothing. Um, yes. Yeah, I remember so, like, that. Yep. <laughs> it, even his contemporaries didn't think he was worth anything until you know he won the Nobel Prize. Yes. Um, first American first, author to yeah. win the Nobel Prize, as you as you probably know. First but, American, uh, which was, yeah, which um, ruffled a lot of feathers because mm-hmm. a lot of Americans did not like him. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, which which I think maybe and she kind of theorizes too a little bit that maybe that uh, dislike of of him contributed him. Uh, to him not being part of like curriculums and things you don't read anything by sinclair lewis Mm -hmm. in high school courses but so many of his characters exist in the zeitgeist oh absolutely Um, yeah and like babbitry is a word that was coined (laughs) almost from the moment that this this book was published yeah uh and it's been in american parlance since um yeah and, and I don't know how many th-
2: times reading through Babbitt I stopped and was just like wow Babbitt has not gone away at all. <laughs> right. Like it's still right. so prevalent out there Babbittry or this uh-huh. concept of Babbitt huh. and hit, yeah. you know the the
0: values and opinions and beliefs of of Babbitt. Yeah, well that's that's something that I that was maybe my like chief insight you know reading through this this novel which i always assume that whatever insights i have the first novel i read by someone um who's who's like stuff i haven't read and who i'm not familiar with i always assume whatever insights i get are like the things everyone knows about them but um that like if you change sort of a handful of like technological references and other things that are really sort of um Mm almost ephemeral or a uh, uh, surface level to what the story is and what the, the characterization is like this large chunks of this novel could be set in the 2020s. Oh yes, uh-huh. absolutely. Um, would, yep. Yeah. Just
1: take out the old tech and yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it. Yeah. Like, you could almost yep. do,
0: I obviously couldn't quite do this, but I feel like you could almost do a find and replace of certain outdated oh, sure. Mm-hmm. you know words and phrases and Brand references, names and yeah. yeah 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 tech tech things and and just like this would read like a like a 21st century novel and would i, I suspect ruffle feathers today mm-hmm yeah certainly i think so
1: absolutely okay I, I i need to mention this before like we get through these two episodes but one thing about uh, nafisi's book when she discusses this that relates babbitt and she's she would agree with all of this that you know it's perfectly relevant you could transplant it babbitt is alive and well today mm. um one of the um maybe soap boxes that she gets on is um the the common core in education um oh. being something that babbitt and his his friends <laughs> would be all about um standardizing it uh she talks about his uh babbitt's conversations with his son ted yeah um and like uh when ted doesn't want to have to study all this shakespeare Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and babbitt says well you've got to because studying shakespeare will get you into a good college which will get you a good job uh which is all that common core is about it's just pumping out job earners Mm. um uh, people who can get a job. And so in, uh, when she talks about literature in the Common Core and how it's just kind of artificially divided into fiction and non-fiction, um, oh, yes. yeah. and you've got to, the, the way it's set up to study these things and study it even without context. Uh, she talks about the Gettysburg Address and how the Gettysburg Address is supposed to be taught. You don't get the context for the address, you the teacher is forbidden even from uh framing it in the concept uh to the students of have you ever been to a funeral mm-hmm. um even though that's well, you know like the immediate context yeah. of this you have to analyze it in a vacuum um so that you and and like that's right up the uh the line of babbitt when he's talking to his his son that it wouldn't uh students be better off learning not to read you know this old shakespeare nonsense instead let them learn how to read and write ad copies right. you know <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> that's going to be more beneficial that's going to be more helpful so right. i mean that that's something that the the timelessness of sinclair lewis and and um probably also part of why he's not as well known is because he's universally uncomfortable mm.
2: oh <laughs> oh that's a good point absolutely <laughs> yeah uh, he certainly was uncomfortable in the in the the 20s uh and even even mm-hmm. the 30s he kind of lost that edge after world war ii i think um okay but uh, he in the throughout the 20s i mean his first uh, or the big breakout novel was main street which i think was his sixth mm. novel um but that was um was published in august or september of 1920 and it had was already in the third printing by 1921 okay um, wow. so it just was like, you know, major sellout or sellout. I mean, sold out all <laughs> over out. the country. <laughs> Choice yeah. words there. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it, people from his hometown, Sauk Center, Minnesota would have called him a sellout. I'm sure because they felt <laughs> yeah. betrayed. They felt that he had used their lives and their stories, uh, very uh... publicly criticizing them, um, Because Main Street is based in a fictional town, Gopher Prairie, Minnesota, which is Mm -hmm. constructed heavily upon Sinclair Lewis's memories of growing up in Sauk Center, small town uh, Minnesota. But -hmm. it sold out because it was so controversial. Um, It it was condemned by a lot of small town book clubs. I think it was banned from libraries, especially in Minnesota. And that just added fuel. Everyone had to buy it because everyone was talking about it. Of course. Um, And that was that the pattern kind of followed for Babbitt, his next novel, and then um, especially his novel, Elmer Gantry from 1927, Mm -hmm. which is he sort of went through this phase of he would take on an American institution in the novel. Mm -hmm. So in Main Street, it was the small town in Babbitt. It's uh, business, middle class, you know, that sort of thing. Advertising. Yeah, advertising. Yep. In his next novel, Aerosmith, which is not the band Aerosmith. He's not going after <laughs> rock and roll music. Uh, it's it's the medical industry in America. The main character, Aerosmith, is a doctor. And uh, in Elmer Gantry, it's religion, big-time religion in America. So he's going after all of these American institutions that are... are foundational identity almost so and even to this day those things still remain our kind of foundational identity yeah and certainly so
0: you know uh just just one thing i know about is you know the history of religion in america and like things that were happening in the 1920s in especially like you say big time religion um mm-hmm. are foundational to things that that are happening now um yeah absolutely. you know the uh i, I was Part, part of this is because i just finished a book on the history of um evangelical publishing in america it sort of the the industry of of evangelical uh uh books um and you know the two two of the major houses erdman's is founded in 1911 and um zondervan is founded in 1931. so like this is and this this may be why uh, you know babbitt and and potentially some of lewis's other novels uh resonate so much with us today is that you know these are these are the founding the the 10s and the 20s and the 30s are like the founding the er, you know model of a lot of institutions the way that they are today in america
3: mm-hmm. um,
0: sure yeah so that's yeah after
2: i mean i think after world war one is really when america started coming into its own especially as a a presence in the world on the world certainly yeah yeah Uh, and mm -hmm. so a lot of yeah a lot of the the contemporary um uh institutions that we have as part of our identity really started formulating in that time
0: yeah um sure i i was actually as we were discussing i i looked up uh it can't happen here is that the name uh Yeah, i I didn't realize you know i'd heard of it especially like you said uh they're leaky um this uh, (laughs) this you know in the last uh one to five years this this book has uh (laughs) come back into into uh public presence for reasons um (laughs) <laughs> and uh but what i didn't so i'd, I'd heard of it I'd, I'd like to say i'd heard of it before that i, I certainly have never read it so um but mm-hmm. i didn't realize that it was published in 1935 i would have yes. I would have expected maybe yeah. like 46 when we were sort of reflecting on world war ii but in yep. 1935 mm-hmm. uh there were plenty of americans who you know would say things probably in back rooms of bars like hey you know he does some bad things, but that Hitler has some good ideas. Oh, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah, and some absolutely. of them would say it. Yep. that
2: is exactly the dialogue that was going on in America. Yeah, and some of
0: them would say it quite publicly too. Like uh, I believe Henry Ford mm-hmm. was was a uh, um, pro Hitler mm-hmm. and um, well, yeah, and Lindbergh Charles was the Lindbergh other one was, I was a going to say. yeah, yeah it was, it was at yes. least interested. He took a tour of Germany, sure. I think. Uh, yeah, as well. Yeah. So that's so that that again yeah. just fits with the. The theme of the discomfort that uh, Lewis perhaps raises, like right, yes, he's asking the wrong, the the right questions at the wrong time. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, he
1: he seems to get out in front of these things too. I forget where whether it was like in the introduction to my copy of Babbitt or what that, uh, um, said something about how a lot of the genius of Babbitt is lost on modern readers because he was just ahead of the way advertising mm. was becoming mm, uh, sure. and when he addresses things that way it's it's familiar mm. to us now um especially i mean looking back and seeing where advertising has come and how it's developed out of what's being described in babbitt but that was very early in this american style right. of advertising yeah um right at the Head of it so he's he's got some yeah and that's that's something mm-hmm.
2: um yeah there's some like some of the the ads that are given in the book and some of the just mm-hmm. sort of like uh this or subtext behind it i guess would be something you might see in an episode of Mad yeah. Men. yeah you know from yeah. from the 60s mm-hmm. the Mad- the madman from the 60s like it he's that far ahead of the curve on
0: things mm-hmm. dang it i had something i was gonna say yeah directly about that and i forgot what it was oh i guess no this this touches just on something that like i think about a lot when reading the i I think about it more the older something i'm reading is i think there's a lost art to um reading something reading things in context which sounds like a very banal statement but Hmm. if i were if i were teaching if i were ever to teach like even a 200 level or, or higher literature course. Something I, I would be tempted to try to talk a lot about would be so, a, a novel like Babbitt is a great example. You have to almost put yourself in a headspace where nothing after Babbitt has happened. So you have to, you have to think about, there's nothing like oh, this yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Or if you're, t- you know, it, it comes up with any seminal work, like, um, if you're reading reading Tolkien for the first time, you should pretend there's no genre of epic fantasy. Like imagine this coming into mm, a world yeah. that doesn't yeah. have it mm-hmm. already. And it's a difficult probably impossible sort of thing to thing to do.
1: Just shut off that part of your brain. Yeah. You
0: know. But but the more you can even even try, often the more revelatory something is.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um Yeah. I think in terms of um,
2: Lewis being sort of ahead of the curve on a lot of these things which is what made him so controversial in his time is mm-hmm. um, I. that just struck me of uh, uh, remembering kind of two important things about his life and especially his youth and his um, uh, sort of coming of age was that he was always a really keen observer even as a little mm. kid uh, I remember reading a quote from mm. one of the one of the townspeople in talk center that said even as a like a boy of 10 Sinclair Lewis could walk into a room and just instantly know everything about everybody like he almost had mm-hmm. that sort of photographic memory not only for surface details but like character quirks mm-hmm. and things like that too huh. um and so I think
1: Sean Spencer and psych
2: <laughs> sure yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Before it was cool to be. (laughs) Before it was cool to be. Because this sort of is the the second part of that is he was always also an outcast. Mm -hmm. It's sort of this like Mm. sad youth and childhood of he always wants to fit in with everybody. And he just can't. He he. I mean, he was well, a awkward boy. He was red, ha- red, bright red hair. He never knew what to do or say correctly, and he got fired. Didn't from, he
1: have like a, a pockmarked face or something? Yeah, he to, had really like, bad acne as a kid, and he had X ray yeah.
2: treatments on his face, and so that left scars mm-hmm. on his face for his whole life. That's right. Um. So he was always the object of ridicule, and he thought, if only I can get out of this small town. Mm. And go to the East Coast. He wanted to go to an Ivy League school to be among intelligent, mm. thoughtful people who had read the great literature, thought about the great philosophy. Mm. And so he, he went to uh, Yale University. Um, and when he got there, he found the intelligentsia of the Ivy League was just the same. It was uh-huh. this elite club mm. that kicked them out. They didn't want anything to do with them. Um, They made fun of him, and so it was just sort of a constant story for him of being highly detailed and highly observant, and yet knowing he would not fit in. And so knowing the the sort of character tropes that people fall into, the habits of thought, the the sort of commonplace ideas that spring up Mm -hmm. and where they come from. Um, So he's really great at diagnosing that, and I, I think both of those kind of contributed to him being able to get on the forefront of criticizing his own day and age.
0: Yeah. Certainly. And like some of, some of what you just said, uh, reflects the other thought I had about that positioning that, that being out at the forefront of things, which is that it's a dangerous place to be. Um, uh-huh. you know, we've, we've touched on the, it gets you shunned. It gets you sort of sort of cast out very easily. Um, the thing I keep thinking about is uh, some of the, what were often called the communist witch hunts in the 50s, um, where people were, mm-hmm. were uh, you know, the, the McCarthy hearings, um, people were put on trial for suspected communist sympathies. One of the, um, uh, like, charges or, or elements that brought people under suspicion to appear in front of the, the McCarthy uh, tribunal was something called premature Um, (laughs) anti-fascism, which was specifically because in the 20s and the 30s, the main people who were outspokenly anti-fascist were often socialists and communists. Um, So one of the ways that they could get people was if they could prove that they had said anti-fascist things or or done any kind of anti-fascist action in the 30s before the fascists were our enemies hmm. um
1: uh-huh. yeah
0: and so it you know uh, like someone someone like lewis like someone in that position you know historically that's the kind of net that they often get caught in like oh sure, you yeah. you said the you you said the the you said that the bad thing was bad, but it was before the rest of us said the bad thing was bad. <laughs> so we're still mad at you. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's right. Marvelous. Yeah. yeah.
1: That, um, all, all this, um, brings up a question that I had. Yeah. Uh, and I, I might have an answer that I'm thinking of in my own mind here, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, is the book Babbitt a satire?
0: Um, I mean, I definitely would say yes. Like, I I certainly read it that way, and it certainly, like, reading it that way was basically what made it interesting to me.
3: Mm. Okay. Um, that's not to say okay. that,
0: you know, it's the only way it could be interesting, but, like, that certainly, um, viewing it through that lens, you know, is... Because I get very, I get very sort of, I, I have very little patience for pure realism that's not doing anything else.
2: Mm, yes. Yeah. Realism uh-huh. in the
0: service yeah. of something else or, you know, whether that's thematic or plot or, you know, it doesn't even have to be that grandiose a thing. But, like, the, the like, naturalism in, in theater and, and other, like, everything, including the kitchen sink style realism, just, like, mm-hmm. I, I, I sometimes, you know, start reading or, or watching something like that with all of these high ideals that I'm going to, like, expand my expand my viewpoint. And it's the one genre of thing that, like, I inevitably get rid of halfway through. Like, I, I don't ever make it mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. Um, so reading this that way would just and I you know whether that's wrong or right is is a sort of a separate question in my mind but reading it that way would would be just antithetical to how I enjoy things um so reading it as a satire like provided that extra depth level and to me it works like you know we could we could argue if Mm -hmm. we wanted to about whether that's correct or what whether it's what Lewis intended but it certainly works on that level
2: it works Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah definitely Um, I I think it it is a a satire, ultimately. I do think that there are other uh, elements at work within the story itself, particularly Mm -hmm. maybe in the second half more than the first half. But I Mm -hmm. think that is one of the things that's really fascinating about reading the novel, the process of reading the novel, is at the outset, at the beginning, it's very clearly we are satirizing Babbitt. Mm -hmm. And his Mm -hmm. life, his ideas, everything in it, all of the people in it, we are, we, like, he is the object of satire. But then as he goes through these vignettes, I guess, it's, it's more sort of things that happen to him, unconnected things that happen to him rather than a plot, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, as he goes through that, though, and especially when he sort of dabbles with liberalism, mm-hmm. you know, and might be a socialist, mm-hmm. suddenly he's, he's not the object of our satire completely. There are, there are aspects of him, especially his flip-flopping back and forth, not knowing what he wants, you know, or what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is also seeing those other people of Zenith, like we are We are sort of seeing them from the same perspective, we and Babbitt. Babbitt is suddenly mm-hmm. seeing the outsider perspective of these old institutions mm-hmm. and the, the boosters and the clubs, the people, that sort of thing. and. In instead of um, so he's almost in on the satire at that point, mm-hmm. but for him it's it's a tragedy, you know, because yeah. he's an, he's now he's an outcast, and maybe that's the sacrifice he wants to make because maybe he wants to be a rebel and burn it all down, um, and he can you know he's a free man, he can do whatever he wants, um, and so it it sort of is it, it definitely is a satire, but it takes uh, almost another level to that satire where instead of just mm-hmm. being the object he has this glimmer of being a participant in satirizing others. Uh, But then, of course, it it sort of all flips back at the end. (laughs) That's that's what I was going to ask,
0: if you you think he stays there or if he regresses or if some third option happens.
2: I think um, it's nowhere near the amount of character change we would expect from Mm. what we might consider a well-crafted plot or a well-told story. You know, like a three-act movie, we would expect a far more drastic change in a character. Oh, yeah. But, um, Kip, I think you said at the beginning that there was this faint glimmer of something different. Uh Uh-huh. Especially when he's talking with his son right at the very end. Yes. You do see...
1: I think without that conversation with Ted at the end, it's a very different book. Yes.
0: Yes. And that's, if you Uh guys didn't bring it up, that's where I was going with that question eventually, is like... And, and it's something I I wanted to bring up at some point in these, the set of episodes is like, is the end, is it a climax? Is it a, in, in the sense of, you know, the classical sense of this is what everything was leading up to, or is it just another event in Babbitt's life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, here's what, what, uh, what I was reflecting on with what you said uh, there, Buzz about, um, if this were just realism, um, you'd get bored with it or you wouldn't enjoy right. it or, or what have you uh i am maybe on on the opposite not the opposite but on the other side of it uh is if this were just satire i would not enjoy it but this has created some fantastic blend uh a perfect mixture of realism and satire and as you're saying leaky about uh babbitt ultimately being in on the satire Mm -hmm. um and seeing it from our perspective um that that makes the satire worthwhile and it also creates this um funny tension because then it's it it'd be so easy for us to just judge babbitt and condemn him for everything but by virtue of him kind of coming onto our side of seeing things and i say our side you know we're as the as the reader as though we're in contradistinction directly which is more or less what the the definition of satire is the Mm -hmm. audience is on the opposite side of the characters um that but uh by him coming over there we gain a little more perspective for him too and we wind up seeing just how trapped he is uh Mm -hmm. in this because yeah. you know, he does uh, as you said buzz want to just like burn everything down he wants to break the system but he finds himself tied to it he's trapped there's this tension between um uh independence and community mm-hmm. uh and he as a human being especially a red-blooded american human being you need both uh mm-hmm. but there's a balance uh to strike there and he's he's trapped and yeah. he has to sacrifice a lot of that independence in order
2: to stick in that community that's so dominated. yeah can i read a brief excerpt just that like really nails no. this point um, as the host okay. no as the host, yes, i will can... <laughs>
0: permit leaky to read a brief excerpt
2: <laughs> all right so this is like right near the end of of the novel itself and then his whole uh you know um not arc but just i don't know it's that it's near the end of this one event that happens to him um he Mm -hmm. he felt that he had been trapped into the very net from which he had with such fury escaped and Mm -hmm. supremest jest of all been made to rejoice in the trapping
1: yes i remember highlighting that exact passage They've
2: licked me licked me to a finish he whimpered and then that that section closes out with him saying yeah i'm gonna run things and figure out things to suit myself Mm -hmm. when i retire you know it's it's like oh, Mm -hmm. i'll put it off to another day but just that idea of he had felt trapped he tried to get out of that net and then he he had been re-trapped by it and then the worst part is he's been made to rejoice and think this is a good thing that i'm once again trapped in here but and he I think, still
1: has some of that perspective Yes, that right I think that's what then directly informs rejoicing in it.
2: His words to his son at the very end Where he, he does have yeah. this faint You know, fire of I well, can't, but maybe you can
1: it, It's the ability of critical thinking That he has gained mm, right. um, He he doesn't have critical thinking At the beginning But at the end, he does um, a, a slight doesn't little Doesn't necessarily change anything <laughs> Right. Here's, here's where that tension is that like um, Nafisi was pointing out and uh, with that, you know, the common core and everything, and the mm. utilitarianism mm-hmm. uh, that's that's there for, for everyone and, and Babbitt at the beginning there. Without critical thinking, utilitarianism is all there is. Yeah. But with critical thinking, you can see the use of uselessness. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, you see? So even though nothing is in actuality changing in his life, his life is improved because he can reflect upon it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
1: Because he has gained the ability to think about how he's thinking. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is, but liberal arts stuff. <laughs> um, can't make
2: any money in that though. So.
1: Can't make any money in it. No. Um, oh, yes. Um, that's. I I think that's the great triumph of the novel. I'm not going to say it it has a a resounding, um, you know, if you want to draw the line between tragedy and comedy and Mm -hmm. say it's got to be one or the other. It's not a a comedy. It doesn't end with a a great, happy ending, but it does have that soft triumph of critical thought at the end. Mm -hmm.
0: See, I I agree with that assessment to a point. Um... Okay my i i'm uncomfortable with the, the 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 phrasing of like triumph and some of those positive spins you put on there uh-huh. um and i don't it's not that i even think that it's wrong i just this this may just be an advanced version of me at age 10 telling my brother not necessarily um just, just say uh-huh. just just like not being able to say you're wrong but not wanting to say you're right. so I say not necessarily. Um, not, it's not really that what what I, th- what I think is I think that the novel ends before we can prove definitively whether triumph is the way to describe that. Um, what I what I tend to think okay. is in the sense so if I as I've had to do for, classes i've you know college classes that i've taught when i boil down what a story is to its most basic essence it's an account of something changing and i think uh Mm -hmm. uh kip what you've (laughs) i didn't have to check my notes (laughs) don't judge me um what you've described kip (laughs) is uh is what changes i agree with all of that i think that's an accurate description that babbitt or or the other thing i i always used to describe stories as is like the world was one way or this character was one way some stuff happened and then this character is another way and i think that that boiling maybe this is my Mm -hmm. see what i've really done is trap both of you into creating for me my 30 second summary of this novel which is you know maybe that (laughs) at the beginning Babbitt is a certain way and he's not self-reflective and some stuff happens to change him into someone who's the same way but now self-reflective about it and that's that's the story Mm -hmm. um what I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily and I it's one of those things that I'm I'm willing to grant an argument about like uh i think you could you could uh Mm -hmm. contradict me here and there would be a fruitful discussion and maybe we'll have it next episode since we're rapidly running over time Mm -hmm. but uh you know i i think that the the idea that this is meant to be a triumph versus something that's meant to be a tragedy i'm not convinced we can even prove from the page um because i think that it, Mm -hmm. it is one of those novels that that if if you call it a cl- if you if there's any such thing as a climax in this book it is uh that last scene and it cuts off right at the end of the climax there's no denouement there's no falling action yeah and i think you would need a set of falling action to mm-hmm. definitively prove that that this is a triumph versus it's the tragedy of babbitt accepting his place in life and not changing anything
2: yeah and and i wonder if it if that denouement is sure. is like it's all in it's in ted's hands now yeah you know and it's i think like, what does ted do with is, this? i think the
0: like is meta yeah. version of that is like it's in the reader's hands i i i think Lewis yes. Would, yeah. yes and if, what i always do yeah. is i say i think what this author would say to just say what i think um but my my suspicion is that <laughs> Oh, are you not supposed to do that? <laughs> I do that all the time. Everyone who, who discusses these things does it. <laughs> That's the point of our English professors. degree. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I suspect Lewis doesn't want either a triumph or a tragedy to be explicit on the page. He wants to take all of all of this with this climax and put it in your hands and say, what is this and what do you do with
2: mm. it? Yeah, and that, that I, sort of goes along with his image of being... An iconoclast and controversial is he did love to challenge people. Yeah, and but personally in his life, <laughs> but then also readers as well. Uh, he loved to present a
0: challenge and have the reader respond to and it. And I think yeah, and I think that's that's very much like that will get you. Uh, it's yeah, another thing about him that is like a classic thing that gets you in trouble. People get in trouble mm-hmm. when they don't give you a conclusion that you can then call them on.
3: Mm. In, oh, in a sure, very yeah. real sure. sense,
0: the, you know, a lot of sort of the general public or whatever, however you want to, society, other general terms, um, they are much more comfortable if you say a controversial thing, but you say it is this way. It's less comfortable mm. and less comforting if you say, here's an uncomfortable question that I'm going to leave with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I guess my my thoughts on that, you know, when I asked if this was a satire, um, if I were asked that question, I would say no, but it's satirical.
2: Um, Oh, sure. yeah. (laughs) uh,
1: And that's that's more or less, you know, about the ending, too. Is the ending a triumph? No, but it has some triumphant thoughts to it. Is it a happy ending? No, but there's some happiness in the ending. Um, you know, and you know, the, his his ability to critical think is critically mm-hmm. think is a win, you know, if you want to mm, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. mod yeah. that a little bit. It's it's a small thing there at the end that um uh, I'm not trying to just disagree with you, I was gonna round <laughs> this out in a way that I did agree with you.
0: Well, um, I, I'd say I'd say that, that still <laughs> begs the question but, it's a triumph, but is it enough or is it a, a big yes. enough? Mm. How much of a triumph is it?
2: sure yeah. granted
0: right is
1: one. right and it's it's not what it needs to be and that's that's maybe where the um the the satirical nature of it comes in too is here it's presenting this problem oh what i was thinking of um um there uh, buzz when you 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 mentioned it uh in one of our previous books uh about um stories about dragons uh they're not there to prove to children that dragons exist but stories about dragons are there to prove to children that the dragons yes. can be beaten that's a paraphrase um, is and it, that's more is or less that chesterton? i was gonna say
0: it's either chesterton or Lewis. yes that's okay I I think think right. yeah.
1: yeah you were you were paraphrasing yeah. chesterton there um or maybe you quoted him and i'm paraphrasing oh him i i him. never quote anyway. i
0: always paraphrase
1: <laughs> okay i'm paraphrasing your paraphrase then but anyway so that's that's more or less what i see at the end here too um is that by virtue of having Babbitt at the end able to critically think, it's showing the reader that a person who can't think critically can yeah. learn to.
0: And mm. if you wanna if you wanna use if you need if you insist, as you always do, Kip, on shoehorning the word triumph in here, uh I think that is I where will. you could make the strongest argument is babbitt learns to like you've lewis has taken the person that seems the most impossible uh to change or to to you know put any, knock any cracks into the the surface of and has mm-hmm. shown in whatever way fiction can that even this person can learn to think critically or can change however incrementally mm-hmm. it is and or I think at the
1: very least this question is you know, maybe one of the most interesting points of debate yeah, to have absolutely. about the book. Like I could see series of essays being written on either side of this. If if I were teaching English and teaching yes. this book, I would ask that question, take a stance, yeah, argue absolutely. your point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I want to see. Yeah. You
0: know, yeah, very much so.
2: I, I will say that this ending to Babbitt is certainly more triumphant than the ending to his previous novel, mm. Main Street, because there's a lot of similarities oh. between those two, how those two books end. Um, and okay. uh, Main Street is basically about this uh, uh, young woman who marries a doctor and then moves to his hometown in small town uh, Minnesota. And she is college educated and has high. Uh, intellectual capacity high ideals she wants she thinks she's gonna bring society uh bring culture to this small town the whole novel is basically no <laughs> she doesn't uh she, she fails nobody wants sure. that she's an outcast like she's thought of as a snob and she eventually like <laughs> moves away to washington sure. dc and then is estranged <laughs> from her husband then Spoilers. No, sorry sorry <laughs> the, it came out in 1920 <laughs> if you haven't read it by now <laughs> not your fault uh, at the end of the novel she, she moves back with her husband they have a, a daughter and the last scene is uh, uh, Carol Kennicott uh, the main character and her husband and their daughter in their house and she's saying I may have failed I may not have brought like this, this critical thought this creative intellectual mm-hmm. thought to these people but this our daughter here this baby She, you know what she is? She, what does he say? She's a, she's Mm. a bomb, a bomb to blow up (laughs) smugness. Like think of what she will do, what she will see in the future. Mm. Like she is the one where this, this war will be won in the future. Like she will see people land on Mars in the (laughs) year 2000. That's what, that's really, says. Uh, I don't know if that happened or not, but, um, and then, so she goes on this, like this epic speech about, um, she says, I I may have lost but I have won this I have never excused my failures by sneering at my aspirations by pretending to have gone beyond them I do not admit that Main Street is as beautiful as it should be I do not admit that Gopher Prairie is greater or more generous than Europe I do not admit that dishwashing is enough to satisfy all women I may not have fought the good fight but I have kept the faith and then her husband replies oh sure that's good yeah hey did you see where the screwdriver went to and that's uh, the end of the novel. Oh, oh, <laughs> but, so oh, I will say man. that Babbitt compared to Main Street certainly does show a bit more of of uh, an a yeah. element of
0: triumph and possibility. Yeah, and, you know. and sure. The same things, honestly, it strikes me, and I haven't read Main Street, but from your summary, that a couple of the same things could be said about the ending of both of them in the sense that a... Uh, the triumph might be getting us to see this again on a on a sort of meta level. Oh, sure. These yeah. characters don't exist. We don't the for triumph. We don't need them to, you know, get anywhere in particular. So long as we've done the exercise of seeing their journey and and being able to analyze mm-hmm. it that way. Uh, the second yeah, thing is, and true. I had this thought with uh, with Babbitt's son. Um, as well as uh, uh, the the main, the this woman from Main Street. Wow, the worst way I could have phrased that. Um, that (laughs) their children will see remarkable things, like if you think about someone who's Mm -hmm, who's what sixteen, eighteen in in nineteen twenty two, um, and you and you project forward even say fifty years into the like the the stuff that. Mm Well, we've talked about how some stuff, you know, the more it changes, the more it stays the same. But other stuff, uh, you know, there are some of them incremental, but there are triumphs that they see that someone like like George Babbitt, mm-hmm. especially George Babbitt in Chapter One, could could never have envisioned. Um, I think part mm-hmm. of yeah. part mm-hmm. of that is breaking the the uh, um, what do you call it, like the the arrogance of someone in an established Mm. class or an established status quo Mm. um you know anyone who who thought the world would be the same in 1922 as or in 1972 as it was in 1922 would have been in for a rude awakening in many ways so yeah there is yeah (laughs) there's that yeah and
2: i i think that might be that like that could speak to babbitt the novel being a series of events that happen to Babbitt, like he doesn't drive the action the action happens to him Mm. um in that yes the future will be full of these new remarkable things these events these new thoughts um however it's not about things happening to you it's about how you respond to them right and maybe that's sort of the Mm. point that's being um addressed when we compare the you know the endings of these two novels maybe that's sort of a point we can take away is it's not necess- like. Of course, there will be progress. There will be things changing, happening. There will be regress as well. Um, and it, it, things will happen to you. And the the ultimate point to draw from that is, what is yeah. your response to it? How do you how do you use that to grow and change and develop? As opposed to just how do you right. refuse that challenge and you know just stay muddled and. Uh, mm-hmm. in a Absolutely,
0: and I don't, I don't uh, think we'll come up with a better capper for part one of our discussion of Babbitt. So I think we will tie that off now. Uh, for a slight point of order, Kip, I'm going to say maybe we punish me at the end of the next episode, uh, just so. But there's still the chance that
1: you could be, you could lose, you could break a rule next episode and need to be punished a second time.
0: Like, don't threaten me with a good time. Um, (laughs) I feel like the listeners are champing at the bit to hear how you're punished. Do you want to do it now? Do you want to? I I think you need
1: to do it now. All right. Do you have something? Or does
0: does Leaky have
1: something? If if Leaky's got something. I don't
0: have anything special, no. All right, Kev. Bring it. I have. Unless I have it's something. making me sing. Um, I'm not singing.
1: Um, that's not. Oh, it's not working.
2: You, okay. you are to read the entirety of The Great Gatsby aloud now.
0: <laughs> and we're going to speak. In the voice
2: off. of Andy Kaufman. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I sent it to you in Facebook Messenger. It's an image.
0: Uh, I don't have that application. That's not true at all. I wish it were. <laughs> This um, is
1: um. I'll I'll preface it as you're as you're pulling it up. It's it's a 1918 ad for Campbell's pea soup. Yeah,
0: absolutely, <laughs> I am I'm there.
1: And, I need you, Ethan. Okay, no here here's okay. So the, we don't need to follow the rules anymore because we're at the end. Um. So. <laughs> oh sure uh,
2: sure right. Yeah. Jacob, uh, I want. I think Jacob you and
1: I object to that. Choose. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Uh, you can pick, uh, between these two options. He has to read this entire ad either the way Babbitt would give a speech (laughs) or the way those Shane Company ads go. Oh, I'm Babbitt all the way.
2: The way Babbitt would give a speech.
0: Uh, does anyone have handy, like, a description of how Babbitt would give a speech or should I just sort of do it interpretively? Oh. Because, like, I know how I think, I know that there was specific wording of how you would do it. Otherwise, I can just do it sort of with my sense of the character.
2: This is a problem with having a long novel without a plot, is like all of this sort of gets muddled together. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Yeah, where'd that happen? I'll I'll
0: just do it sort of impressionistically. Do
1: it interpretively, yeah.
0: Made from fresh green peas and rich with real nourishment. If you could go out and pick peas in your own garden today you could have them no fresher nor more tempting than those we use in Campbell's pea soup and no home kitchen could produce a soup more wholesome and satisfying we make it only in the growing season when the fresh green peas are brought to us every day direct from the nearby fields and farms that we make them into soup and we make them into soup the same day Within twenty-four hours or less from the time they are hanging on the vinesies, tender June ripened peas are transformed into Campbell's pea soup. <laughs> Pure delicious soup, hermetically sealed, mmm, and ready for your table. After boiling the peas, we rub them through fine colanders. Blend them with rich milk, choice creamery butter, and delicate seasoning. You will say PERFECTION! You can add hot milk or cream when serving if you want the soup especially rich. Served in bouillon cups topped with whipped cream, it makes a remarkably pleasing attraction for a ladies' luncheon or any formal occasion. Its use is particularly appropriate, too, for meatless days and as an aid in carrying out the National Program of Food Conservation. For this soup, it should be remembered, abounds in nutritious... Abounds in nutritious, proteated elements and the carbohydrates which supply energy and force. You will find it a distinct advantage to order it from your grocer a dozen at a time. This saves extra delivery expense and ensures you're having an inviting soup always at hand when you want it. 21 kinds, 12 cents a can. Campbell's Soups, look for the red and white label.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: What a, what a fine orator that, that Babbitt is. <laughs> that,
0: I do Babbitt have to say. He's developing quite the reputation. Every time I read dialogue in this book, I heard it in like 30s movie delivery, um, mm-hmm. which as someone who's watched a lot of 30s movies, maybe I was predisposed to do. But uh, yeah, so that's, a, that's, that's where I was going with that. Um, awesome. All right. Well, thank you to both... Uh Michael Kip and Jacob Leakey. Uh Yes. Thank you. Join us next You're time, on. gentle listener, uh for our continued discussion of Babbitt. Uh feel free to read us read along and give us your feedback. Uh we will also do your homework. We're always soliciting homework. Oh man, I'm in the Babbitt voice now, aren't I? Uh, we're always soliciting homework submissions. We won't do it well. We do condone plagiarism because we'd like to see you turn our work in and get A, and F, and B, hauled off to plagiarism jail. Um, <laughs> if you go to our website, tapestryradio.scotchcast, fill out the form. We'll do our best. We'll make it fun. If you like this podcast, check out our other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, our audio drama podcast, backstage audio. It's dramatic. Um, there's also Us Play Fiasco featuring uh, at times, I believe, both of my guests on this show, uh, Michael and, and Jacob. Um, and Yes, that's the best one, that one, Us Play Fiasco. Wow, you, you invite a fellow onto a show and you think he'll play nice and then he pulls that on you. Well, there's also Freddy Goes to a Podcast uh, and Pokemon Rollout. Uh, these are... All wonderful. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. We don't pay to advertise, so that's how others can learn about us and enjoy the pep that you enjoy. Uh, <laughs> Michael, was there anything... it got moxie, kiddo. Was there anything you wanted to promote here right at the end?
1: Uh, nope. I'm on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L if you want to get in touch with me. Perfect.
0: Uh, Jacob, was there anything you'd like to promote other than... I didn't realize that I could promote.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess I should have told you that um, right at the beginning. I, I'll have to come up with something that I can anything do that I can then promote. Or... Yeah, just anything that comes to mind again. Netflix
1: you... show you're enjoying. Well, oh. Oh. oh um, I
2: didn't realize we were giving uh, away free ads. Oh. I'd like to promote a road tour of Michigan. Come visit beautiful, scenic, paradisical Michigan. Paradisical? Parasitical. Mm-hmm. No, paradise. <laughs> like paradise. Michigan. <laughs> It's your home away from home, or if you live here, it's your home. You can take the, the Dante's Divine Comedy Tour of Michigan. You can start in the southern part of the Mitt in Hell, Michigan, and then you can drive on the highway up to Mount Pleasant, Michigan, which is in the middle of the state, which reflects Mount Purgatory, and then you can make your way all the way across the bridge, the the Mighty Mac, up to the Upper Peninsula, to the very northernmost peak, where you can go to Paradise, Michigan. Come take the Dante Divine Comedy Tour of Michigan today. Wow.
0: Uh, That's the best advertisement we've ever had off the top of someone's head, so... (laughs) <laughs> i'm just going to, to cut it there i just discovered that the other day <laughs> yeah. that
2: there you can do that That's, so
0: i thought i'd share so excellent love it. um yeah and until next time gentle listener just remember it's our party and we'll cry if jacob says his podcast is better than ours bye it is <laughs>